Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my two brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis. Today, we're in the second half of the Sweet 16 for our Greatest American Band Bracket, Region 3 and 4. You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now let's find out who clears the Sweet 16 and makes it to the Elite Eight. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Today we are in the second half of our Sweet 16 round. First, we're moving to Region 3, where we've got two matchups, four bands. Two bands will continue on to the Elite Eight. In our first matchup, we have the Birds up against Big Star, uh, two, uh, two thoroughly American bands, I should say, um, and uh, a couple decades apart. But I think, you know, you guys are, are really um, the, the biggest fans and, and I think, you know, the foremost experts, certainly in our group um, and in my world, uh, on these two groups. I know, Wyndham, you know, you've always been a huge Birds fan. Um, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy, a huge Big Star fan, although I know we all like them as well. Um, so I think, you know, it may make sense for me to sort of adjudicate this one. Um, why don't uh, why don't you kick it off, Wyndham, and uh, tell us a little bit about why the birds, um, you know, why the birds are going to be real competitors here? Well, it's it's uh, it's funny. There's a lot of crossover just in that introduction. I uh, um, I feel like uh, you know the birds really were were ending their career around the time Big Star was starting theirs, and. Uh, not only that, I mean, I think all three of us, um, you know, Jeremy taking Big Star, me taking the Birds, we're all very, very big fans of both bands. The funny thing is that going back and digging deep into the Birds catalog and, and really going all the way back to their first release, Mr. Tambourine Man, um, their second release, Turn, 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 I'm realizing that without big, without the Birds, there is no Big Star. Um, there is, you know, on a song like Feel a Whole Lot Better uh, with Gene Clark uh, song, that's just a sort of perfect encapsulation of a pop song um you know just a tight on both ends cool you know great in the middle um it's a it's a mover and um it's really uh sort somewhat uh the blueprint of you know what big star becomes uh jerry what are you thinking yeah i mean look i love the birds and i, I realize sort of their importance in music but, um, you know, a lot of bands influence other bands, and then those bands take it to the next level. And I think with Big Star, the you know, the Birds changed styles a lot. They had a lot of different singers with uh, a lot of different genres that they attacked, and I think did, did well with all of those. With Big Star, to me, though, they, they take that kind of jangle pop and that British kind of, you know, British invasion mixed in with the Memphis soul kind of the next level. And so... You know, number one record in Radio City to me are, are really perfect albums. And you have songs like Ballad of, um, God, I'm El Goodo. Name right now. El Goodo, thank you. Or, or 13 mixed in with Life is White or Oh My Soul. And, uh, you know, and then pop gems like September Girls. And, and you know, I really think it's a matter of a band that had a, had a huge reach and huge influence to a band that had a, a small reach, but I think just as impactful of a, of a influence for sure. Um, you know, I think it's a tough matchup. I think you have a, a legend against kind of a, a, a true sort of like American icon band versus kind of a, a cult classic. An upstart. 
Yeah, legend. And so, um, you know, I could go either way on it, this one. It's an, interesting, it, it's an interesting point, though. I mean, one of the things that's come up a lot in, in the course of the tournament is sort of, you know, what, what really defines if there is, if there is sort of uh, American genre music. And, you know, I think here we have two, two different interpretations of country music that's ultimately, you know, rooted in different geographies, um, sort of different manifestations of, of roots country music, you know? Yeah, I, I just would, um, you know, the, the one thing that I think made the birds stand out among, you know, the sort of impersonators of the British invasion, um, you know, again, which I would consider big star, and, and I mean this in a, in a very uh, positive way, uh, were also reinterpreters of the British invasion. Um, you know, the birds, one of the things that really sets them apart is, is Roger McGuinn's playing. Um, I think that guy was a far more intricate guitar player than, than a lot of his uh, contemporaries. Uh, he was playing, uh, you know, twelve string part of the time. He was, uh, you know, he was really um, picking a lot of, of even within the the context of a, a fairly simple pop song, was doing a lot of guitar work that was ahead of its time. And I think that's something to to, to sort of um, be considered as well in this. No, he, he definitely was, and I mean, he was he was a guy who who sort of trained up on a on a very country style, and I mean that's that's where he got his uh, that's where he got his start. But the fact that he ever, you know he brought it over on that Rickenbacker and and just sort of uh, I, I mean it, it's it's an incredible sound, and, and it's sort of it's very distinctive. Yeah, I, I mean agree. he 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 was a guy who played everything on on you know when he was a folky, he was a guy who played um, you know mandolin and banjo, banjo and all sorts yeah. of you know anything you could hand him. He was one of those guys. Um, do these do these guys get dinged for uh, for for you know launching Crosby, Stills and Nash? <laughs> you know what? Um, I would I, you could ding them for for launching a bunch of different bands. I mean, frankly, I was going back and listening to um, things like uh, you know. Uh, Captain. The Falling Burrito Brothers rock. Well, no, though. no, but I was listening to Fifth Dimension, and I mean Fifth Dimension, their album, not Fifth Dimension, the band, and you get Eight Miles High and Captain Soul coming out in 66. I mean, there's absolutely no way there's a Jefferson Airplane or the San Francisco sound without, yeah. you know, that record. Um, and, you know, at the same time, you know, like I said, there's no, I've said this before, and I, I hate, hate to be repetitive, but there's no Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, there's no R.E.M., there's no Jayhawks, there's no a lot of people without um, the Bird and um you know i think all owe a huge set of gratitude i also you know like i said upon closer listen um you know stuff like um my back pages and things it, they really inform uh, the big star the very you know sort of brief big star catalog and again like i said I, i'm not um throwing shade here i love big star as much as i love any band but it's it's really hard to imagine um you know it, it uh it, them without the birds and also uh, a hell of a lot of other bands without the birds well i think i think you know it sounds like you guys have put together a pretty good case for for both of these guys um why don't we turn it over to you two to vote and let's uh let's see who's moving on to the elite eight well so i'm going to go first and sadly just by virtue of um you know the breadth of the catalog the, the size of the catalog um and this and the fact that you know uh big star sadly had a fairly truncated career i'm going to go with the birds yeah, I mean, for me, it's about, uh, you know, I think songwriting, songcraft, and uh, as much as I, I, I can't hear Tom Petty or a lot of those artists you mentioned without hearing the birds, including Big Star, I just think Alex Chilton and Chris Bell, um, you know, wrote better songs and, and in their short moment. career, yeah, just put out some excellent music. So I'm going to go Big Star. 
and you know this is a really this is a really tough decision. You guys you guys both put up a great case for it. I think the the hardest part for me here, um, and and you know I, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say I'm gonna vote Big Star. Um, and the hardest part for me is is that you know I hear the birds and I do a large part of it is is sort of this this imitation of the British invasion. And to me, I want America's greatest band to be so just decidedly American. Um, you know, I, th- I think they have to be. Well, I, I would, you know, and I, I'll, I'll accept the, the defeat, but I will say that um, if you're, if, if uh, aping the British invasion is a crime, then, then Big Star is as guilty as anybody. So, um, And certainly I've made that case against other bands that are still in the tournament, which we'll, uh, which we'll get to soon. Mm-hmm. Years ago my heart was set to live Oh I've been trying hard against unbelievable odds. It gets so hard in times like now to hold on. The guns they wait to be stuck right at my side is gone. So anyway, moving on. Uh, next up is is Van Halen versus the Stooges, and I don't even know who to throw this a, to. A guitar eruption. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> For sure. Um, you know, I, I, I would I would volunteers welcome. Who's who's going? I'll jump in quickly. I mean, look, I think both of these bands, uh, first of all, rock. Um, I think both these bands were hugely influential to the sounds they, they influenced. So Van Halen, like there would be no sort of modern U.S. hard rock. I mean, you know, I think England was doing a pretty good job with Saxon and Iron Maiden and, and Van Halen was the, the U.S. version that kind of revolutionized um, guitar rock and, and certainly flamboyant frontman with, with David Lee Roth. Their first, you know, four or five albums are, are, are really fantastic. Um, I will knock them for for maybe not for kicking David Lee Roth out. I don't know if, if I was in a band with him, if I could have taken him much longer either, but um, adding Sammy, Sammy Hagar as the second half. And, and I know there are Halen fans out there that, that like that period. I can't stomach it at all. And the Stooges, you know, as we all know, I mean, they created the, the noise and, and the, you know, punk and, and even metal and, and every, you know, kind of loud, heavy sound that we love. And in a very, very short period, um, you know, sound as new today as they did back in 1968 and 69. So, um, you know, you've got two bands that really kind of uh, blew the, the the walls down and, you know, broke down barriers. But I think, um, in my opinion, one benefits a little bit more from having a, a less extensive and, and long career. I, I, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, this begs the question, what isn't better if you smear peanut butter on it? 
Um, and, and in that, I am obviously making a reference to the fact that, that Iggy Pop, uh, you know, covered himself with peanut butter when he was launching himself off the stage and, and you know, into broken glass and a variety of other things. Self-mutilation was a big part of his performance. Sorry, um, was, that, was know, that a rhetorical question? Because I, I did have an answer for that, which <laughs> oh, is David, David Lee Roth's chest wig. <laughs> um, I uh, oh god, um, it just made me ill. Yeah, thanks. Uh, that that unfortunately probably doesn't do much to serve Van Halen's case right now. Um, no, I, I think look, the, the Stooges. Um, again, when we're when we're talking Great American Band here, I want this band to be a band that influences people in other countries. Um, and there is no question that these guys were making punk rock. 10 years before, well, not 10 years, but five years before anybody else was. I mean, it's it's no coincidence that the Pistols, um, you know, were were basically uh, modeled after um, those, you know, a lot of those early performances. And, you know, it's, it's I think, the just as we were, we were talking about with um, Big Star sort of perfecting something that somebody else did, um, you know, the Stooges took acts like MC5, which were just insanely raw and, you know, really out of, like, a distinctly American, you know, Detroit-style uh, Detroit of music, um, which, uh, you know, and, and really just amped it up. I mean, it just it it could it could it be more aggressive and and um, uh, more sort of out of out of place for its time. Um, but you know what? A lot of the a lot of the most important bands are, and and for that reason, I think these guys have a serious uh, serious you know claim to the throne. Um, sir, I, in most cases, the Stooges don't have a height advantage. In this case, um, they're pretty they're they're actually pretty close. Um, I, mine's going to be fairly short. I think uh, the round is, you know, I think the Sweet 16 is where you start getting dinged for your demerits. And um, I feel like the entire uh, Van Hagar uh, catalog is a giant uh, dark spot on the uh, Van Halen Chess resume. salad with peanut butter on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Metal um, Buffett. But uh, I also, you know, I also want to say that, the, you know, the Stooges gained major points for doing something that nobody ever did before. And I, that, I'm not even going to specify what that thing is, but it's... It, yeah. It, um, <laughs> it's, it is, well, it's hard to put a fine point on, let's be yeah. honest. But, uh, you know, I mean, congratulations, Van Halen. Uh, you were a great band, but, um, you know, you, you, you stuck around too long and, and too many incarnations. I, I'd say the, the entire... Uh, of their post eight nineteen eighty four output is is sort of rooted in mediocrity, and to me that's a shame because I think the band Van Halen is fantastic. Um, so you that's why they, that's vote? that's that's why they're still here. Yeah, um, so I'll start off the voting. I mean, it's just, it's an easy one for me, Stooges. Yeah, it's pretty easy for me too, Stooges. Sorry, no fun for Van Halen. Yeah. Right. Sorry, guys. Say oh my and a, a boo-hoo 
anyway, moving on to the next one. This is a, an interesting matchup, and I think that um, I'm going to I'm going to uh, sort of uh, sort of uh, talk and and uh, um, you know just yammer on because I want to delay Christian's gratification and going after <laughs> Aerosmith. Um, the one thing I will say here, which is remarkable, is uh, I will give Christian a gigantic thumbs up uh, on his shot oh. call. Uh, he in the last. <laughs> Uh, round uh, wished that Jeremy and my phone would break so that we would be stuck listening. I don't want to miss a thing for the next <laughs> three weeks. And lo and behold, the NCAA tournament came on CBS and don't want to miss a thing. Uh, covered in bits and pieces by the Dan Band has been um, just one of the most frequently played commercials of the tournament. It is. Yeah. Fucking brutal. Unfortunately, I have to live through that as well. So it's it feels wow. like it's taunting me. Serves you right for wishing harm on us. Yeah, I'm <laughs> impressed. Yeah, I don't know if you read the Bible, but there's something in there about not wishing ill on your brothers. And, yeah, uh, I think that's right. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's the lest it's you the, wish ill on yourself. I think is or is that I'm paraphrasing, but it's, um, it's that voodoo uh, that voodoo set I got for Christmas came in really handy. Yeah, so let's prolong Christian's satisfaction a little bit longer. Jerry, you want to talk old Aerosmith with me? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, we were having this conversation before we had uh, this pod started. So it's, uh, look, you know, I, I think Christian has the false impression that Aerosmith just sort of aped off everyone else and, and uh, didn't have their own sound. But I, I strongly disagree. I mean, I think Aerosmith brings a swagger and a boogie to a hard rock that'll, that really is, is truly their own sound. And, and I, I think anyone who goes back and listens to Rocks, um, Toys in the Attic, the first Aerosmith album, um, will hear that pretty profoundly. I mean, they're a band that, you know, coming from the Northeast had a lot of, lot of groove and a lot of, a lot of soul. I think Joe Perry was a riff master and I think had some great pop licks too. I mean, for your first single, you know, to hit single to be dream on, I mean, they, they, I mean, there's not a better power ballad out there. I'm sorry. Yeah, they wrote the book and then they slammed it shut, kind of. I think, you know, two, you know, there's a great rhythm section here. It's got a lot of swing, like you said. I did, The funny thing is that uh, Christian keeps uh, alluding to the fact that they're uh, sort of a, a, an American appropriation of Led Zeppelin. The funny thing is is that their contemporaries in America were really Leonard Skinnerd, and they share a kind of groove with Skinnerd. They're sort of a, a north, northern... Uh, urban, more urban uh, version uh, of that kind of swamp boogie that, um, you know, with the sort of pianos that, you know, again, you know, the, uh, that also the, you know, the faces were, were sort of uh, famed for um, that English. sort of honky-tonk piano. Oh, no, but it's a honky-tonk piano. I mean, it's a, you know, I mean, for Christ's sake, Jules Holland from Squeeze played that. Um, you know, it's not a, uh, it wasn't being brought back from the faces. It was, they were all simultaneous essentially. And, um, you know, Aerosmith had just had that groove. And I think Steven Tyler is a really great front man. I think they had great delivery. I think they've stuck around probably too long and, um, I want to kill them for, uh, for the NCAA tournament <laughs> thing. But I actually, you know, I, I think the second half of their catalog, like I've said before, um, it could have, it, you know, I think it, it's got some great tunes in it. And, um, you know, they, they remained a relevant band for a really, really long time. And that's not an accident. Well, it could be Van Hagar, and it's not. You know, I think yeah. to your point, they had, uh, they went from being huge to, you know, being druggies to going to rehab to being huge again. And, and yeah. that's, that's a feat, you know? Yeah, that's a second acts are difficult to come by. Um, now, Christian. Is um, it my turn? It, I, well, I was just going to make you wait for 10 seconds before you started talking, <laughs> but go ahead. 
All right. So just to just to correct one error um, that that I believe you made last time by pointing out that Aerosmith was really you know was contemporary with Led Zeppelin. I, I would like to point out that Led Zeppelin one, two, three, and four had come out by 1971, and of course, Get Your Wings, which came out in 1974, uh, was Aerosmith's first album. Second. So second, excuse me, their first one was uh, what 73. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, the self-titled. So you know, I, I'm I think saying it was a compressed period of time. It's not a. It wasn't. Uh, this it's my turn. Didn't have yours to gestate. <laughs> um, oh, oh no, I'm I'm just getting started, guys. Um, no, really, I, I think. Look, my my big issue is that you know I, I think in looking back through their catalog, um, I don't I don't knock bands for for being influenced by other bands. I really don't. Um, but the Swamp Boogie that you're talking about, which for some reason, sounds so authentic in a band like Leonard Skinner comes across as really contrived in a band like Aerosmith for me. Um, and I don't know whether that was the glam and glitz or the fact they just didn't know what they wanted to be or the fact that it was just so performance forward rather than music forward. Um, I, you know, that to me, these are all like, these are all big problems. Like the music has to stand up on its own and I know you guys like it. I, I don't. And I don't think that, that, you know, you can make a serious case that a band that's like clearly ripping off riffs as, as much as they did and sort of structuring albums around the way Led Zeppelin put out albums just a couple years earlier, um, you know, can, can possibly be the number one. Hell, Led Zeppelin was already ripping off American music when they were making their stuff. So it's like this weird sort of full circle, but it just, it doesn't stand up for me. And, and I would like to finish by... My ending with uh, Robert Criscow and in doing the research, um, looked up some of his album reviews and, and, you know, one of the, well, he's, as it turns out, also not a huge Aerosmith fan, um, but I really liked the, uh, the review that he wrote for Get Your Wings in 1974, which was, these prognathous New Englanders are musicianly, all things are relative, inheritors of the grand funk principle. If a band is going to be dumb, it might as well be American dumb. Here, they're loud and cunning enough to provide a real treat for the hearing impaired, at least on side one. Have a sense of humor about themselves, too, assuming Lord of the Thighs is intended as a joke. With dumb bands, it's always hard to tell. So I think for me, you know, that pretty much sums it up. Um, I just can't get past all that, like, shitty, childish, you know, humor that just isn't funny. Well, versus singing about hobbits and dragons, I guess it is a little bit tough um, to uh, define, but, you know... I don't yeah, hear about thighs. That would that would be a great reason to disqualify Led Zeppelin from this tournament or eliminate them, but they're not in it. Well, yeah. we can agree to disagree, and let's uh, let's move on to the Velvet Underground. Well, no, I just first want to say that I don't think that any of oh, these. Oh, that's right. They're competing against the Velvet Underground. We should probably <laughs> yeah. talk about that. We should, um, but I think that's you know I think it's fairly uh, clear that they that they have a good chance of moving on. So we'll we'll save some of dry you know save some of our dry powder for later. But I think um, the one thing I would say is that not every argument in this needs to be a zero sum argument. And I think that you know the the uh, I love Aerosmith. I love Led Zeppelin. I love Skinnerd. So uh, there you have it. Who wants to talk about Velvet Underground? Go ahead, Wyndham. Um, well, I. Uh, I, it, it's funny. I, I went back and, and was reading an article the other day, uh, an interview with Doug Yule, um, you know, who uh, has lays claim to, to ha- being on half the Velvet Underground catalog, which is funny because uh, never a guy who you know. I mean, we talk a lot about replacement players and this and 
and uh, substitutions and deep benches. But um, and I'm not making a uh, an argument in favor of, of Doug Yule necessarily so much as I am realizing that uh, the Velvet Underground uh, was another one that that you know whose entire catalog I think is phenomenal. But really, that classic lineup was uh, only the first album um, plus uh, really only the first year. Uh, and a half of the band's existence, which I, I you know, I hadn't really um, uncovered that. I think know. that's one of those. That's one of those. Uh, one of those sort of casualties, or, or um, you know, of of basically having a band that's also an art experiment at the same time. Yeah, it's like you know, but but I would just say, I mean, a, a note about the personnel, and and yeah, I, I thought Doug Yule's sort of involvement was was kind of fascinating. I mean, you do have here one of the best formulas in terms of personnel that you could possibly ask for. You have the, you know, moody, cerebral, kind of awesome performer, the guy who's good offstage as he is on, the guy who's a dick to people in the press because, uh, you know, he, he knows that that's the that's the best way to sell um, to sell newsprint, but also who's just kind of a dick um, in in Lou Reed. Uh, then you've got you know John Cale, who is the sort of orchestral genius, right? Um, you know who can lock lock him away in a studio, and and uh, you know he's proven time and time over um, producing other people's records. Uh, I mean, he was the only classically trained member of the Velvets, um, and just really a sort of a, a, a pretty brilliant mind um, for for music. Um, Producing Sterling. other people's albums, including including the Stooges, but yeah, yeah. Oh no, a, a ton of bands on this list have had albums produced by, but produced by John Cale. Um, but uh, but then you've got you know you need you need one Ringo, and of course that's Mo Tucker, who is the like quintessential prototype for uh, Meg White as just a like thump 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 drummer. Um, and then you've got Sterling Morrison, who's just the totally fucked up, drugged out, long haired, pretty good looking, quiet guitarist. Um, so no, I mean, I think they, they like, that's a winning formula if I've ever heard one. And, and so I think on, on those grounds alone, that's just one interesting thing I think we can mention about them, but yeah, I mean the VU, I don't have a ton to say on VU. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I think it's a quintessentially cool band. I think all four albums they put out are are really good and, and, and also like a little bit different, you know, they, they, Start off with the the Nico um, and Lou Reed trading songs into the very experimental White Light White Heat, you know, and then get kind of a little bit more mel- melodic when when Yule actually joins, and, and then even end with a, a little more commercial and, and a little more rock and roll. So um, you know, I don't have a lot to say. I, mean, I could actually vote at this point. Well, tell, yeah, just, I can too. I, I just the one thing I thought was interesting, um, you know, going back and reexamining their catalog is that a lot of bands put their best album out first. But most bands' first album doesn't sound like a progression from their second three, from their for their later three. It's it's a funny thing that uh, their first album actually sounds more experimental um, than anything else they they put out later. It actually feels like it should like if you mix up the sequence, it would make more sense uh, to, in your brain. But um, that said, it's a, it's an easy you, you know I'll I'll let y'all vote. <laughs> Christian Aerosmith. Uh, you know, I think I'm going to go with Eros. No, I'm going with the Velvet Underground, obviously. Yeah, and I, uh, I think I made my case for Aerosmith, but I'm going to go VU here. Yeah, me too.
to the last one of, of the uh, Sweet 16, and it's uh, as nasty a, a matchup as you're going to find anywhere in any of the brackets. I mean, this could, in, 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 a, in another tournament, this could be the finals. So, um, and it's in the round of 16. It's a tough one. It's Nirvana versus the Ramones. So can we, can we start by, I mean, thinking again back to our criteria, right? We have cultural impact influence, uh, ability, um, so, you know, technical ability. Um, I, I think, you know, let's, let's just start with, with cultural impact here. Can we agree that's a tie? <laughs> um, you know, I think I, I would say Nirvana takes that. I mean, I think, um, you know, in terms of cultural impact, I mean, you're talking about people, you know, the, the volume of people impacted, uh, by one was was a lot greater than the other, probably, um, just because... I in the moment. That. In the moment, sir, that's what I mean, actually. Uh, but also, you know, as it went down the line, I mean, I think it changed the industry. You know, Nirvana's arrival changed the industry. It changed so much. I mean, it, uh, it was one of the few times when... Uh, the band was a disruption rather than the technology to the yeah. To the there, there was business. a fashion, a fashion impact, a, a musical impact. I mean, there was a lot of different different things. I mean, I think you'd give them a, an edge on uh, on that. I mean, without discrediting the Ramones for the fact that the Ramones encouraged you know countless musicians that were you know scared to pick up a guitar, the ability to feel like they could pick up a guitar. And, and start a band, including think, probably Kurt Cobain. I think the Ramones, uh, ha, you know, sort of uh, exist in this in this tournament as as the band that I would say almost you know that most of the bands that followed would most likely want people to think is their favorite band. That's a long way I, to take that. I, I mean, the, so the basis for the cultural impact point, you know, and, and that's interesting. I, I would have thought that you guys would have would have said that it was a little bit more even. Um, I my thinking about this was that this is truly the moment when, you know, those first couple of albums, first four, I guess, were really sort of a, a blueprint for anybody can pick up a guitar and be their own band, no matter how shitty they are at it. Mm-hmm. And that really create, I mean, that, that opened the door to all of the music that we sort of grew up loving. I mean, and that, you know, for that reason, um, I don't know. I, I think that is sort of a moment that, that kind of changes pop music forever. I, I I agree a hundred percent, but I also think that that um, you know in terms of a, a cultural relevance or a cultural impact, just the explosion, um, it was a really remarkable thing. Um, like I said, I was I was around for both. Jared was around for Nirvana. Um, it was uh, I, you know, and I was young uh, to to see the cultural impact of the Ramones, but just the the. the 
the ability to um, to reach uh, the number of people um, at the time Nirvana came around made them, you know, hugely uh, much more sort of a, yeah. a of a of a lightning storm. And- and that, of course, yeah, in the context in which you arrive does make a huge difference. I mean, I, actually, just one thing that occurred to me that I, I would like to revisit in another podcast at some point is sort of the way that that English and, uh, you know, British punk and, and New York punk sort of uh, emerged simultaneously and separately in the same way that, um, you know, D.C. And, and L.A. punk did. Um, write, it, write it down. We're going to do a podcast on it. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Um, anyway, so moving on from just the cultural impact thing, I mean, yeah, let's talk about the body of work quickly. Uh, I mean, for me, look, Nirvana didn't have... I, I, I honestly don't really think they had a bad song, um, and I'm including Bleach in that. I mean, I, I fucking love that band. Um, and top to bottom, uh, you know, I, I think that, that it's pretty, pretty much airtight. They certainly don't have any embarrassing moments. Um, you know, you can, you certainly, they've got, they've got highlights and, and standalone, you know, mega hits, but, but I, I just, I think it's all pretty defensible. Yeah. I think, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say with Nirvana, there's one thing that stands out to me too, as we, as we kind of, I looked at these two bands and I said it last round with the Ramones. I mean, they, they do one thing and they do it very well. And, uh, you know, you deserve a lot of credit for that. Look, I love ACDC too. Um, but with Nirvana, you know, there were, there was a, that noisy kind of uh, in-your-face um, persona, but there was a lot of, like, intricacies to that band. I was looking up just the compilation that I loved when I, I was younger, and, and I had it on vinyl, the Incesticide compilation, where they do a lot of Vaseline covers um, and some of the outtakes from from the, the other albums and, and earlier songs that never made it onto an album. And there, there's just a lot of depth there. They had a real sense of pop sensibility. At the same time, they could be the, the noisiest band in the room. And, um, and I think also you have some great musicianship. I mean, Kurt Cobain was a great guitar player, obviously great songwriter, and Dave Grohl was just a killer drummer. So I always remember that, that I mean, it's funny you say that. I, Kurt Cobain made music like, I, I don't, I mean, I shouldn't just say Kurt Cobain. All those guys did, right? They, they put together this band that, that made music unlike really any thing anybody had heard um, before. And frankly, I don't think it's ever really been replicated effectively, right? I mean, it, it actually launched a, a well, shitty... Yeah, I mean, it sort of it, it couldn't be done. But I, one of the things that, you know, I, I had a, cup, a copy when I was a kid of which um, was printed when I was 13 or 14, I guess, um, of, uh, of his notebooks and journals, um, sort of reprinted as is in his handwriting, um, which, you know, if you're a huge Nirvana junkie as I was in, in middle school and high school, um, that was just totally awesome. Uh, and, you know, I always remember that, like, in that he lists out his favorite albums, um, and the ones that stick out to me, his two favorite albums ever were um, Iggy and the Stooges, Raw Power, and Surfer Rosa. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fact that his, his favorite bands are, like, just don't sound anything like Nirvana. Um, you know, he was like, yeah, we were trying to be the Pixies. We just didn't know how to do it, and we couldn't sound like them. Um, and we sounded like something different, and that's how it came out. But and I, that's truly, like, a lens of, of genius that sort of I think is kind of fascinating. But I think you can draw the, the, um, the roots down um, from those two bands. I think both, you know, they were able to blend the sort of dynamics, you know, the sort of in-your-face dynamics of, of the Stooges with um, not... The raw you know, power. 
Not yeah, but not only just the loud, quiet, loud, which everybody talks about, but really, you know, Frank, you know, the Pixies had a really weird pop sensibility. It was, you know, it's not immediately identifiable in the same way that that the uh, that Nirvana's is. Nirvana's, you know, has some really catchy songs, um, but there's something, you know, intrinsic in the Pixies that that you know made them different and you know that made you want to listen to them but that what wasn't familiar and i think that was nirvana's key as well i think there was something i think they were singular singular talents that um you know that both made amazing music uh and then this you know so you're talking about three of the bands that are still in this tournament and um it's uh it's not a, it's not remarkable to me that that he draw drew his inspiration from two of them and I guess, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it's not remarkable that, that he uh, had good taste in music. It yeah. seems actually pretty pretty straightforward. And it's funny, I mean, when you think about how it lines up timeline-wise, you know, we always talk about Our Band Could Be Your Life by, by Mike Azarad as sort of one of the sort of great tomes of, of um, you know, punk histories or, or indie rock histories. Um, you know, and a lot of the bands that, that were on uh, Kurt Cobain's list were, you know, Butthole Surfers, um, uh, Beat Happening was on there, like, you know, Minutemen. Like, he, I mean, he was basically listening to, to cool indie rock in the 80s, which makes sense given his age. Mm-hmm. So, fair point. Um, so, are we ready to, to take this to a vote, do we think? Yeah, it's, it's weird, though. I'm, I'm still conflicted. Um, go ahead. Well, get, all right. Um, I'm going to go Nirvana here, When I mean, I love the Ramones. They're important. They're one of the great, great American bands. But um, I'm going to go with Nirvana, just, just that much more important to me. I, uh, I I look at this and I, I think, could I imagine a bracket? Could I imagine an Elite Eight that Nirvana wasn't in? And the answer is absolutely fucking not. Nirvana. Yeah, I would have said the same of the Ramones um, coming into this. So um, I would, uh, um, you know, it doesn't matter. It's decided. So uh, I would. Well, that's a cop out. What's your What's your vote? <laughs> Um, I think I'd have to go with Nirvana, just cultural impact and, and other things, but I, I don't, I wouldn't... Uh, but you're not happy about it. No, I'm really not. In fact, I'm hearing right now. Anyway. <laughs> okay, you, you can take it out on one of my picks later. So anyway, that that wraps up the Sweet Sixteen. We've got some phenomenal matchups coming up. Uh, oh I'll just boy! Preview it for you, but um, we've got the Beach Boys versus Sly and the Family Stone, Leonard Skinner versus the Pixies. Big holy Star. crap! Big Star versus the Stooges. And holy the crap! O- and the Velvet Underground versus Nirvana. <laughs> so maybe um, I really, I actually, I don't know. I, I 
have with. no idea what the hell's happening. Yeah, the, whose stupid idea was this thing anyway? Stupid NCAA. How much money did we put on this thing? Yeah. All right, anyway, well, great. yeah, we'll be great. back with the Elite Eight. Terrific. That's it for this episode of Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks to Simon Doom for our intro music, Hair of the God, and to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall. You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Tweet our mistakes and your recommendations and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Until next time, on behalf of Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you for listening.